Welcome to the Hat Soil Health Podcast, a production of Hoosier Ag Today and made possible by the Indiana Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative, a program of the Indiana Conservation Partnership. Once a month, we'll spotlight the many efforts around Indiana by CCSI and its many partners to improve soil health on Indiana cropland. Here's the host of the Hat Soil Health Podcast, Eric Pfeiffer. Welcome to the Soil Health Podcast. Substituting for Eric Pfeiffer, I'm Ashley Davenport, and it's good to be with you. You might think of cover crops as being used on large fields, but they can be used for small-scale market farms and urban agriculture. And today we're going to be talking about that with two experts about the process of choosing cover crops in these smaller operations and getting some tips to get a good stand and managing them in the spring. And with me today, Kevin Allison, Marion County Soil and Water Conservation District in Indianapolis, and Dan Perkins of Perkins Good Earth Farm in DeMott, Indiana. And Kevin, we'll start with you. I'll let you introduce yourself. Yeah. Uh, my name is Kevin Allison. Um, I'm from Southern Indiana. Um, I've been um, up here in Indianapolis for about five years, um, helping um, urban vegetable farmers and gardeners with soil health and conservation practices. So I've got a little bit of background in um, big ag, um, helping the farmers with crop rotations and soil health. Um, but I've really uh, kind of found a home with the with the small farmers. So just uh, I love what I do, and uh, I love seeing soil change and get better. So happy to be here with you today. Awesome. It's really great to have you here. And Dan, I'll have you tell a little bit about yourself and Perkins Good Earth Farm. Great to be here. I am owner and farmer with Perkins Good Earth Farm, and we grow the veggies that you need and love. Uh, We have a 130 family CSA, Community Supported Ag, operation, and we operate basically year-round at this point. Um, we do make a full-time living from this. Uh, we have an on-farm store and a couple wholesale accounts as well. Um, our spinach ends up as far as the Cayman Islands, I just learned the other day, through a smoothie-making place in Velpo, Indiana. So just kind of a cool factoid. Wow, so global. Yeah, yeah. I guess you can be small and still be global, right? So we farm about an acre and a half. Uh, we usually double or triple crop things, so it's more like three or four acres when you actually look at our production. And we have 9,000 square feet under tunnels. Um, we average about 16 tons of produce an acre. And just for comparison, the average corn bean field yields about six tons an acre. So we're about two and a half times as productive just on a food volume standpoint. So I always like to point that out. We are small but mighty, and we are also uh, certified organic. As you both know, cover crops, they do a lot of good things for the soil. They hold it in place, prevents erosion, and they also contribute to the soil ecosystem. And then you've got the diversity of crops, Dan, as you mentioned. You grow a whole lot of different crops, and so do other people for market farms, urban vegetable farms, community gardens. And so that must mean that there's a wide range of cover crop options for this diverse crop. And Dan, we're getting towards the end of summer. Uh, What kind of cover crops are you getting ready to plant then in the fall? Yeah, so that's a really great question. Um, And you're exactly right. We, when we're a diverse operation, you have so many little niches where you can put um, cover crops in. So You know, near the end of summer, let's call that August, September, you know, we might have 30 days to throw out buckwheat, um, which is a great uh, soil health improver. You know, if I have 25 days, I'll throw buckwheat out there um, and then be able to terminate that and get my fall 
you know, crops in or, um, you know, my rule of thumb is if we're going to have an early crop in the spring, you know, say spinach or head lettuce or something, I'm going to plant, you know, end of August, early September, oats and peas, something that will winter kill. You know, I'm not going to put in something a lot later, like a late summer crop of green beans or um, tomatoes. I'll put something that won't winter kill. So it's, it's very similar to kind of the, the big commodity crop guys. It's just we have more opportunities. Okay, so basically you decide on it by what season the vegetable crop is growing in, right? Right, and, and what's coming next. So like what's my goal? Am I trying to just protect the soil over the winter from wind erosion? Or am I trying to fix nitrogen for next year's tomato or you know okra or zucchini crop? say um and then i i, I kind of make it fit make sure there's enough you know growing degree days and then i'm actually going to get value out of it and kevin can you treat your cash crops like these like it's a cover crop especially when something is going out to seed i try to look at like any roots in the ground as being beneficial um you know when you've got like a tomato in the ground every i don't know two feet um in that bed, there's not a there's not a whole lot of root covering the you know the entire bed. So it really is cool to get in um, a cover crop you know after that tomato harvest, um, just so the whole bed's kind of energized. But if you look at like lettuce, for example, um, if you like pull up one of those roots, like it's it's covering the whole bed, and the soil generally looks good underneath lettuce. So I kind of think as you know, if I've got cover on the bed, whether it be mulch or um, you know whether it be straw or a um, to, even a tomato or lettuce or a cover crop mix, I, I've got that soil protected in some way, shape or form. There's roots in the ground. So um, I'm definitely good with, with, um, with that as a soil health benefit. Yeah, I would definitely agree with Kevin on that. For instance, you know, midsummer, I flail mowed some arugula and spinach that had, you know, I'd harvested a couple of times and now it's kind of going to seed and I'm not going to use those beds until the fall for like a fall round of broccoli or Brussels sprouts, I'll let them grow up, let the pollinators get in on the flowers. And then before it goes to seed, flail mow it and then, you know, do what I need to do to, to get it ready for the broccoli. Kevin and Dan, you can weigh in on this too. Talk about the process to get these crops established because I'm sure it's not a one size fits all approach, especially when you're talking about tomatoes versus leafy greens. Explain that. Yeah, to, um, to get a cover crop established, I mean, you really got to think about um, timing and, and the crop and just the way the bed looks, you know, when you're going to go out and seed that, so or seed the cover crop. So I've had good luck, um, something like a tomato. If there's enough light and moisture in that bed, um, you can have a pretty good shot at getting a cover crop underseeded um, underneath something like a tomato or even like kale, you know, that's kind of got that, that palm tree canopy. Just There's just a lot of sunlight getting in, so it's possible to just, you know, underseed that bed with the cover crop. If it's um, something like watermelon, you know, it's, it's not going to be as easy, right? Um, it's just going to get shaded out. So um, underseeding is an option, but if you've got the chance to, to do maybe a little bed prep, like just kind of, um, you know, get the, the bed clean of, of debris um, and then um, seed the cover crop out there and then get it like maybe, you know, rake it in a quarter of an inch, um, then you've probably got a better shot at getting a full stand. Um, but I know Dan and I have been talking a lot about, okay, what's what's the minimum amount of disturbance that's really needed um, to get one of these things established? Maybe we don't need to be, you know, um, even doing that much disturbance to the soil. So it's really kind of experimenting and um, just trying to lessen the, the disturbance as we go. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely that idea of interceding or when there's a cash crop growing, 
you know, broadcasting smaller seeded cover crops, you know, clovers, annual ryegrasses, those kind of things can, can work. Um, especially most, most smaller operations have irrigation that they can readily water um, right after seeding. Um, and so that, that makes it really, gives you a lot more options. Um, even using a, like a one row earthway seeder, that's a pretty common tool among market gardeners. Um, and there's a whole publication actually that talks about which plate to use with which cover crop species and spacing. It's called Seeders Using Manually Operated Seeders for Precision Cover Crop. You just Google it and it will come right up. Um, that someone's done all the research of how do you get good stands and stuff. So we do a lot of that. You know, we run a hairy vetch uh, row between our potato rows at last cultivation. Um, that gets gets us really nice stand of hairy vetch when those potatoes are just coming out. And Dan, you've been at this a while. You've obviously been successful at it. So what are some of the processes and tools that have worked best for you in your operation? Yeah, the earthway seeder, having a hand spinner, you know, for establishment, being able to water like right at seeding in terms of timeliness is really important. Having enough space so that you can have a little more time to get a cover crop to full flower. So for example, like a legume, like crimson clover, you know, in the spring, if I don't have to immediately terminate it to try to get my spinach planted, you know, I can let that flower terminate it via flail mowing and then tarping it. That can effectively terminate that crimson clover without an herbicide. And you just pull that tarp back. So the principle of, you know, no disturbance, you pull that tarp back and you you can put in your tomato transplants, no problem, um, without any sort of tillage or disturbance, which is, which is what we're all kind of going after. And Kevin, what have you found that are some of these tools the same that when you help other growers or do you have a different list? Um, yeah, they are the same. I might be a little bit more on, um, not that Dan doesn't use a lot of hand tools because he does, but like just like smaller hand tools. So um, some of my growers don't necessarily have um, seeders. So it is broadcasting by hand. Um, but I think like the concepts are the same. Um, definitely agree with Dan. Like I'm using something that winter kills, something like oats um, before, if I know that I'm going to be planting something early spring. So whether that be spinach or lettuce um, or onions, um, anything that's kind of going in in March or April, I like to lean towards something that's going to, that's going to die during the winter time. So oats is a good option, oats and peas. Um, and as Dan said, like if, if, um, I've got that opportunity to get some benefit in March in April and early May, as far as like the growing cover crop goes, um, the soil is usually better off for it. Um, but I know that's a timing constraint for some folks, you know, um, um, but if you do have the space and the, the crop rotation to get a legume in that's gonna that's gonna survive the winter time. Um, I, I use I like to use that tactic before, like Dan said, tomatoes or peppers. But yeah, the same. Um, we might not have flail mowers, but it might be a sickle um, or a scythe um, or even shears on a like a raised bed um, to cut these cover crops down. Um, and if you've got some straw, you could layer it on top of it to kind of make sure that that cover crop's suppressed and doesn't regrow. Um, if you can put a tarp on it for um, a couple weeks, then you're probably better off for it, just as far as weed suppression goes, um, and then plant right into it. Dan, your farm is organic, and when I think of cover crops and field crops, I usually think of a spring burndown. So how do you terminate cover crops for specialty crops? From the organic world, you know, we have roller crimping, which you can do at a small scale. So like I have a patch of Amish paste tomatoes, you know, that 
go in typically later and get harvested all at once. We roller crimp screw rye and hairy vetch down and it terminates it at the right stage. And then we just put in the tomato transplants in at that point. Um, that's really an effective system for us and for a lot of growers. So that's kind of one way. It, in a way, the the tarp or oculation is the way to kill that cover crop. It is the herbicide, so to speak, um, by just blocking out the sunlight. Um, and there are some, yeah, some herbicides that are available like Avenger that are some citric oils, but I haven't, I don't have much experience using them on uh, cover crops in an organic system, largely just because they're cost prohibitive, but Kevin might have a little more experience with those. Um, I, I don't actually. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. sorry about that. But no, it's it's all good, Dan. Um, but I think like, um, yeah, that's that'd be something to definitely look into. If I mean, if your operation is um, has herbicides in it, like there's probably some of the same constraints go for you know for small ag as as do big ag. You know, is there going to be residuals that are going to affect the next crop, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, I think most of the most of the people I work with um, are either organic or farming under organic principles. Um, not to say that, that that they aren't used out there, but um, I think I've got more experience with just kind of you know organic and mechanical termination. Kevin, if a farmer comes into your office and says, "Man, I'm thinking about planting some cover crops, but I don't know is would it be cost prohibitive? Is it really going to benefit that much? What are you going to tell that grower? I usually I usually ask him to come to a, um, one of our demonstration gardens or a farm that's actively using it because I think seeing is definitely believing. Um, I don't, um, I find that like soil in the spring, if it doesn't have a, if it didn't have a cover crop in it, it looks a lot different than soil that has had a cover crop. Just the biology is there. Um, just everything's working and cycling and, and just looks healthy. So, um, I like to show them, but, um, once we get, you know, beyond the, okay, convinced you why it's more, you know, okay, how do I get this in, into my operation? And I think the biggest thing to do is just look at their, their crop rotations. So, okay, you know, what's, you know, what's in your beds in September, like um, what's in those beds in September. Um, and then next year, what are you going to be planting in those? So, and then we can kind of start looking at our windows and thinking about cover crop species and figuring out what might be best for their operation. Um, and if it's a first timer, you know, like then, yeah, we'll stick to something that's winter killed. Um, but if it's somebody that's got a little bit more experience and more, um, yeah, just more, um, more comfortable with cover crops and we can start throwing in legumes and, and some other tactics. Yeah. And Dan, I'm sure that some people have come to you with the same questions, comments, concerns about, okay, is it worth it? What have you told growers? Cover crops are critical to the bottom line. If we're going to farm with less inputs and still have the same amount of yields um, in, in trying to make our farms more sustainable and more as farmers, we're signing the back of the check instead of the front, so to speak. Cover crops are a critical part of that to, you know, fix nitrogen, to reduce compaction, just all those things that we want to use cover crops for and we believe in. It's just then it comes down to the practical of how we fit them in, right? For each farmer and their abilities and the tools they have, it's going to be slightly different um, no matter what scale you're at, right? I um, mean, your comfort level, and Kevin's exactly right, starting out small and with some of the easier species is a great entry point. Um, and I've seen a lot of good success with that. And 
once you kind of get a hold of the benefits and you see it and you believe it and you get your shovel out and you dig the roots, then most guys want more. Um, they see the benefits for us, especially for weed control. We're on light sand ground that can really blow easily. They're just tremendous long-term benefits. Thinking about how you have different seasons and different crops grow during different parts of the summer, when do you start planning for your crop and cover crop rotation? Well, um, I guess what I've done over the last two years is I always have a couple bags of buckwheat and I basically have them in three bins. My like, hey, you got 30 days and it's cool. It's cool. The cool season, you know, spring or fall, or I have 30 days and it's the middle of, you know, summer or July. Um, each bin will have a, a selection of seeds and I can just, you know, I'm often seeding a small area, right? And I'll just throw that seed out there because we grow so many different crops i can't precisely plan everything I've, I've tried that over the years mother nature throws a wrench in it and it all goes to pot anyways so i've just learned okay we got to be flexible we got to adapt and so i have these kind of bins where i can just pull seed out and like oh i'm not going to plant this area for 30 days buckwheat i'm not going to plant this area for the rest of the year okay i'm going to do a more diverse mix and with longer term species those are kind of the strategies i guess i use on a real practical level kevin do you see that sort of thing happening with your other growers too for sure and i think that like yeah some of our smart our smaller areas like the the gardens and community gardens or even like a, a home garden that might have let's say 10 beds instead of you know 10 beds that are 20 feet long instead of you know maybe dan's case where there's there might be you know 20 to 40 right so the lower amount is a little bit easier to to manage and to plan ahead on definitely getting um i think if you can if you got the ability to to plan in advance um it's going to be helpful just thinking through okay i've got so many beds that need that are going to be wanted to sown to like an early spring crop um so to not like do cereal rye or something that's going to you know live on every single bed um just to know that in advance and just to, to have that prep and choosing the right cover crop to set up the right crop. Um, I think the more advanced you think about that, like the better it's going to be as far as management goes. Any small market gardener with lots of crops, you know, I sit with my Excel sheet in the middle of January and I, I map things out and I try to rotate by plant family. And I even look at my cover crop plant families. I tend not to do a lot of brassicas and radishes as a cover crop, you know, the the tillage radish or oilseed radish because I'm planting a lot of brassicas as a cash crop. So that's kind of one of the other considerations is making sure we're careful of that in a diverse operation. Both of you have experience with SWCD. And Kevin, from your perspective, what advice or tips do you have for developing uh, that relationship between SWCD and farmers? Just give us a call. Um, we, we do our best to try to find you <laughs> for sure. I know in Marion County, we, we do a lot of workshops and um, just outreach the best we can. And, you know, meeting one farmer usually leads to another farmer um, because there's, there's in general, there's a, a pretty good network that they've got. If we haven't found you, definitely just reach out to us. You know, um, call the office or email and we'd be happy to start the discussion. Yeah. And Dan, same question. I mean, what would you advise another farmer to do to approach SWCD? Find out where their office is. Give them a call and say, hey, I'm interested in soil health practices and cover cropping. Where can I get some good information? Is there another farmer in my area? Um, often, you know, folks like Kevin will know who the other farmers are that are have a couple of years experience and can kind of really talk shop as well as Kevin can. What's your big take home message? Cover crops are really important 
and our need to be on more acres and more farms. And so you just got to start somewhere. So start with some seed and start with a shovel and you'll be good to go. Yeah. And there's, there's so many instances in this scale that, that they can be useful in. Um, yeah, I was out at a at a homeowner's place and they're wanting to start like a maybe like a quarter acre garden, market garden, and there was there was grass there. So they're probably going to cut. Um, I don't think they've got a tarp big enough, so they're probably going to cut the sod and they're not going to be growing this year. So, you know, the a good idea would be to put like sorghum sedan grass and sun hemp and something like very deep rooted that's going to just kind of you know suppress weeds, try to terminate that, um, you know, after sod cutting just to kind of keep that um, that turf grass suppressed um, and then set up that farm for the future. There's another one just this morning that was um, had like 30 raised beds, um, and it was I mean they're they're small raised beds, but there's there's 30 of them, and they were looking for something that was aesthetically pleasing um, in regards to cover crops, but also has some benefits. So, you know that's where we can just recommend you know maybe oats and crimson clover might be a perfect um, perfect cover crop for that situation. So. Um, there's all different kinds of covers and um, yeah, just reach out to your SWCD or other farmers that are using them to, to get some help and advice. And that wraps up this edition of the Hat Soil Health Podcast. And again, I've been talking with Kevin Allison of the Marion County Soil and Water Conservation District in Indianapolis and Dan Perkins of Perkins Good Earth Farm in DeMott, Indiana. I'm Ashley Davenport, Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's Farm Network. The Hat Soil Health Podcast is presented by the Conservation Cropping Systems Initiative. Find out more about their programs and upcoming events at ccsin.org.